This morning, the title of my sermon is Lead Us Not Into Temptation. Lead Us Not Into Temptation. We're looking at Luke chapter 11, verse 4. Let's have a look at that again. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. We looked at that last time. And our words for today... And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As I've said earlier, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer for several weeks now. And by way of recap, we've looked at the reality of every one of us being sinners, every one of us. And we've been sinners from conception right through to death. We will be sinners. We'll be sinners in terms of it being a debt, a debt to God. The debt of sin is far too great for any of us to repay to God, whom we have sinned against. However, the good news is that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has paid the debt of sin in full with his own precious blood. And he did so at the cross for all his redeemed all who trust in him for forgiveness and for everlasting life. That is truly good news, isn't it? That Jesus has paid the debt of sin if you are someone who is trusting in him as your saviour. As such, the position before God for all whose debt of sin has been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ is one of acceptance in Christ. Far from being indebted to God, you, dear Christian, are adopted by God as God's child. And no longer are you under condemnation. I mentioned earlier that Jesus is coming again in judgment. That is something for you to fear if you are still waving your fist towards heaven. But if you belong to Jesus, if he has paid your debt of sin, then you say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And you look for that day when Jesus comes again and he ushers in the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. For all that, as was seen last Sunday, God's children, Christians, still come back to the throne of grace time and again, praying, forgive us our sins or forgive us our debts. That prayer point is a clear acknowledgement that even after perhaps decades of being a Christian, of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, of following Jesus, the child of God will inevitably still pick up the filthiness of sin on his earthly pilgrimage. And he will cave into temptation time and time again. And he will continue to sin against the God of his salvation. It was pointed out that people who are not trusting in Jesus as their saviour from sin are hardly likely to pray Father, which art in heaven, forgive us our sins. It wouldn't make sense, would it? 
if God is not your father, and God can only be your father if you are trusting in Jesus, because Jesus gives you the right or the power or the privilege to become a son of God. So if you do not belong to Jesus, you are not someone who is going to pray, Father which art in heaven, forgive me my sins. Doesn't make sense. This is a prayer for Christians who abhor their sin. They don't just dislike their sins. They don't even hate their sins. They abhor their sins. And they hate it when they continue to sin against God, their heavenly father. But it doesn't end there. The child of God will never be content simply to pray for forgiveness when he sins against his God and Saviour. That will never be enough. His plea will be one of deliverance from sin, as can be seen in verse 4, with the words, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. First of all, we are to pray, lead us not into temptation. We pray to God, lead us not into temptation. Now, at first glance, those words might seem to suggest that God leads his people into situations that will inevitably cause them to sin. Therefore, God makes his people sin. However, Instinctively, you as a Christian, you might reason that God does not cause his children to sin. He can't do. God does not make his children sin, Christians. In fact, let's take it further than that. God doesn't make anyone sin. People, When people sin, they do it themselves. It is their fault. They are to blame when they sin. You'd be right to think that if that is what you think. As it is written in James chapter 1 verses 13 through to 15. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. And enticed. Then when lust have conceived, it bringeth forth sin. That's the language of giving birth, isn't it? Conceiving and bringing forth. So we're enticed by our own lust. When lust have conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. But that's all down to us. So what is going on if according to Luke chapter 11 and verse 4, we are to pray, lead us not into temptation. But in James chapter 1 verse 13, it says, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Is there a contradiction there? We're praying to God, lead us not into temptation. Uh, But then somewhere else in the Bible it says, Neither tempteth God any man. The answer is that the original Greek word that is translated temptation can mean a trial or test of faith. God tempts, when God tempts people, he sends them trials or tests of faith. 
God's people undergo God-given trials of faith throughout their born-again lives. Consider Abraham when God said to him in Genesis chapter 22 in the Old Testament, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Can you imagine that? God saying to you, take your son, who you love, or your daughter, who you love, go to a mountain where, that I'll show you, offer that child who you love as a sacrifice, a burnt offering. We're told very clearly in Genesis chapter 22 verse 1 that God did tempt Abraham. He tempted Abraham. But he wasn't tempting Abraham to sin. It was a test. It was a test of faith. And Abraham passed that test in that he was obedient to God's command. For those of you who don't know what happened... Just as Abraham was about to bring down his knife and slay his son, his son who was tied to, uh, 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 to tied down, and Abraham was about to bring down his knife and sacrifice him, just as that was about to happen, the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I, and he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God. You see, it was a test of faith. Now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. But also, temptation can mean temptation to sin. Not when God's doing it. God does not tempt any man to sin but temptation can mean temptation to sin Jesus said out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders adulteries fornications sexual immorality thefts false witness blasphemies now if you've got a bit of understanding of the Bible when Jesus says out of the heart proceed murders doesn't mean to say that everyone then goes around sticking the knife in people or shooting them or killing them in some other way. But when you have got anger, an unreasonable anger in your heart towards someone, it's as if you're killing them in a sense. Or it's it, that, that sin of murder is there in your heart. Likewise, if you look at someone, look at a woman, men, you look at a woman... With lust in your eyes? Um, Jesus says that, that, that it's adultery. Can you see what I'm talking about? The act is committed in your heart. You show yourself to be far from pure in your heart. When you have, when you entertain those angry thoughts towards others or you, your lust is burning with it, you have lust a sexual lust burning within you for someone else, someone else's wife maybe.
With that in mind, when a test of faith comes your way from God, and not necessarily just the things that you consider to be unpleasant, like take your son, your only son whom you love, take him up to a mountain. Not that kind of test only. It could be something very pleasant, the test that God gives you. Seemingly innocuous, seemingly safe, seemingly harmless, rather nice. Either way, those trials are occasions for bringing to light sinful feelings and desires that fester like a cancer within you. And and you don't blame God for this. The cancer that is within you. The spiritual leprosy that we are all contaminated with. From conception through to death. Within each one of us. For example, let me give you another example from the Old Testament. When King David was on the roof of his palace and he saw a beautiful young woman washing herself, what should he have done? He would have done well to look the other way. Is that right, men? Perhaps women, I don't know. He would have done well to look the other way. If he was Joseph, he probably would have done precisely that. I say that because there was a time when Joseph was a slave and his master's wife had designs on him. On one occasion, when she tried to seduce him, he said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? On another occasion, when she tried to be intimate with him, She grabbed hold of his outer garment and he fled from her, leaving her holding his garment in her hand. But King David responded very differently when he was on top of his palace roof and he saw the beautiful Bathsheba washing herself. He caved into lust and one thing led to another. He committed adultery with her. She became pregnant by him. And then to cover up his sin, he arranged to have her brave and loyal husband, Uriah, killed in action when he fought with Israel against the Ammonites. All David had to do was look the other way, but he didn't. And one sin led to another. The point is that when King David caved into temptation and sinned, he only had himself to blame. And that is something that is explained in James chapter 1, verse 13 and 15. Let me read it again. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust have conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So, if God does not tempt us to sin, but rather we bring forth sin when we are drawn away by our own lust, why do we pray to God, lead us not into temptation? What is going on there? 
We're acknowledging our weakness. I certainly am when I pray, lead me not into temptation. I know what I'm like. And I'm acknowledging my own weakness before God. And without God's favour, without God's protection, we will succumb to the assaults of Satan, who is the tempter. We will be lured away by the world and the things of this world as soon as we switch our televisions on or we start browsing on the internet or whatever. And we will yield to our own sinful flesh. As such, not only do we acknowledge our sin when we pray, forgive us our sins, but we also acknowledge that we have no strength of our own to live a holy life. And we acknowledge that when we pray, lead us not into temptation. Can you see that we don't just pray for that forgiveness as important as it is? We're looking beyond that. We're, we're acknowledging our weakness and our the failure or no strength within ourselves to walk in holiness, to live a life that is pleasing to God. We can't do it. I can't, neither can you. Not even if you've been a Christian for 30, 40 years, 50 years. It ain't going to happen. Secondly, also we are to pray, deliver us from evil. Having prayed, lead us not into temptation, we pray, deliver us from evil. This is a plea to be delivered from the fiery darts of the devil and more generally to be delivered from all moral wickedness, including the body of sinful flesh. Jesus prayed much the same thing for the elect, those whom his father had given to him. Christians, people who trust in Jesus. He prayed to them, uh, prayed for them rather, in his high priestly prayer. In John chapter 17, when he said, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. See that? Jesus prayed to his father. He praying that um, that he should keep them from the evil. What is the evil? The devil? Most certainly he's evil, isn't he? Beyond that, this world. Beyond that, your own sinful flesh. Maybe when you're praying to God and you say, deliver me from evil, you also say, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? As you lament your propensity or your inclination to still sin, even as a child of God. The Apostle Paul said those words, O wretched man that I am. But he didn't stop there. He then said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the bit that puts a smile on my face. Not O wretched man that I am, but I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when he said that, he was praising God for the deliverance that God had provided for him. In his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a deliverance that is so complete. 
that all of you who are trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin have a certain hope. By that I mean a 100% hope. Not a fingers crossed type hope, but a certain hope. You only get that in the Bible. People will sometimes have a job understanding that. How can a hope be certain? It is when it's when it's uh, anchored on Jesus and your tr- faith is in him. It's a certain hope that reaches up to heaven. You have a, that hope of being with him where he is and beholding his glory despite living a born-again life of praying, forgive me my sins, and praying, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Even though you pray those words, you still say, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But also, when you think about this, Deliver us from evil. Will you pray? I, when I pray, deliver me from evil. What, are, what am I saying? Or what are you saying if you pray those words? How far do you go with that? Today? Are you praying that God would keep you from evil today? How about tomorrow? I would say that that deliver us from evil takes you right to your death. Because ultimately, what is, the, what is the ultimate deliverance from evil for you, dear Christian? Death. That is it. In God's time, of course. But ultimately, you are praying for, a, shall we say, a sanctified, a blessed death. One whereby you completely say goodbye to evil. And you go to be with Jesus. Because ultimately that is what you are praying for. In God's time. And it is a beautiful thing. And that's why we shouldn't get. Obviously we don't like. It's a natural thing for us to to, to mourn. When people die. Including Christians. But when a Christian dies. You mourn, by all means mourn, because you love that person and uh, you know that you're not going to see that person anymore. But, don't mourn for them. Because they've gone to a better place. They have had that ultimate final deliverance from sin. And they are now in the presence of Jesus. Which is far better. And that's what you're praying for yourself. When you say... Deliver me from evil. I can't wait. In God's time, of course. And neither could the Apostle Paul. That's why he said that he had a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. I'm glad I can see at least one Christian nodding his head in agreement. In conclusion... Praying, Father, which art in heaven, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. It only makes sense if you do so as a child of God, through faith in your Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is Jesus the Saviour who brings deliverance from sin by his sacrificial death at the cross, 
He is also the great heavenly high priest who, as has already been mentioned, prays for all that the Father has given him to be kept from the evil. And the thing to appreciate is that Jesus does so as the one who has himself been tempted. When Jesus prays, keep them from the evil, Jesus does so having experienced temptation himself when he was in the world. As it is written in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We don't have a high priest in heaven who knows nothing about about what we're going through. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He faced various tests, various trials, but he wasn't drawn away by his lust. Why was that, dear folks? Because he is without sin. He is the sinless Son of God. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help In time of need. When you think about it. Unlike us who are drawn away. Perhaps rather quickly. By our own lusts. When we're tempted. When we're tested. By God. And next thing you know. We're drawn away by the lust of the flesh. And we bring forth sin. That's us. However the Lord Jesus Christ. He received the full force of temptation precisely because unlike us he did not succumb to evil he didn't start making excuses and succumb to evil nor was it in his heart to do so unlike us but that doesn't mean to say it was uh, it was all play acting from Jesus he was tempted The sinless son of God faced the full thrust of temptation from Satan. That was real. An example of Jesus meeting temptation head on was at the beginning of his earthly ministry after his baptism when he was led by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was led by God into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. The very fact that Jesus was led there by the Holy Spirit tells us that God orchestrated that situation. Amongst other things, the devil took Jesus up an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And the devil had the audacity to tempt Jesus by saying to him, All these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. Can you imagine that? The Son of God being tempted to bow down and worship the evil one, the devil. He was tempted with all the kingdoms of the world. They'll be yours. 
In response, Jesus said to the devil, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus didn't succumb to temptation there. He responded with the word of God. Spurgeon commented, commented, Our Lord could never have fallen the victim of temptation, but through life he was the object of it. He could never have been so tempted as that the sin of temptation could spot his soul. Far from it, yet remember that in the wilderness he was tempted. It may be that like a like temptation is coming home to you, to you here. Live for gold. That's the temptation. Live for the things of this world. Live for fame. Live for pleasure. In some form or other, worship the devil and renounce faith in God. We get that every day, that kind of temptation coming our way. Last of all, to all of you who, having trusted in Jesus as a repentant sinner and having acknowledged your continuance in sin, pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And praise God that he who saved you is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To him be all glory and majesty and power, now and forever. Amen.